He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host, joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Rigby, we'll start with you this time. Not much on my end. Got a wedding this weekend. I'm a groomsman and our outfits are black pants, white shirt, and black suspenders. So I'm thinking of showing up with a hook on my hand and saying... I lost it in a nasty cheese grade accident <laughs> as a young man. <laughs> I have everything to look like Hezekiah Munson except the beard and the brim hat. But other than that, I'll, I should be good to go. You can buy both those. Yes, I can. But it's going to be in the 90s, so a little too hot for the beard and the hat, I think. Good luck to you, my friend. James? Nothing. I'm excited to talk about a little Emily Blunt action here. I uh, didn't realize how much I enjoy her movie, so I'm pumped to go over to enter a, a Craig joke here, Emily Blunt. I thought we were watching Legarrette Blunt. <laughs> <laughs> just, just fist fights on the field. Yeah, I was at that game. <laughs> were you? Oh, really? Yes. That's badass. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, nothing much on my end. Uh, watching a shitload of Sesame Street, so life's pretty good. <laughs> Craig, what are you up to? I've been enjoying my pool party and barbecue season. And I've heard the song Paradise City so many times. I started listening to the lyrics. What incredibly low bar that song places for a Paradise City. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe it's written about West Lafayette. And if you've ever been there, (laughs) you would understand why that bar was so low that literally seeing grass made that man excited. On my side, I was excited that the Regal Theaters opened back up out here in Maryland, and so I've been frequenting the movie theater again once or twice a week. It's good to be back in the theaters, and the Regal Unlimited plan is lovely, and I very much enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to abusing it this summer. But outside of that, happy to bring a guest Munson back to the pod. We've got Mark Yerke with us. He is feeling more introverted than ever. Uh, Mark is reluctantly ready to emerge from his quarantine cave out in Boise, Idaho. So if you're wondering why he would have been at the LeGarrette Blunt famous punch game, well, there you go. Close the loop on that one. For years, friends and family alike have questioned his borderline obsession with comics and craft beer. But 2020 turned out to be a good time to have an endless supply of reading material and alcohol. While books, booze, and Idaho didn't end well for Ernest Hemingway, it's worked out well for Mark so far. (laughs) Yerke was previously with us for the Chris Tucker episode. And we're excited to welcome back. Welcome, Yerky. Welcome back. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. You know, it's a great reason to be able to revisit some of my really some favorite movies that Emily Blunt's been in. So I'm uh, looking forward to talking a little bit more about them. I'm also sipping on some craft beer right now. Beer from Parish Brewing called Ghost in the Machine. It's pretty excellent. So hope you all enjoying something, too. Birthdays, June 17th. Warren, what do we got? We'll start with uh, Greg Kinnear, is uh, known for As Good As It Gets, We Were Soldiers, Little Miss Sunshine, and Nurse Betty. 
<laughs> Call back. How about 55, Warren? Give me 52. I'm going older. I'm going to say 61. I'm going to go 51. Damn. 58. Ah, Rigby. So, yeah, first guess Rigby. You said what, 55? Yeah. Rigby with the W on that one. Second, Michael Showalter. Coop from Wet Odd American Summer was in TV show The State, director of The Big Sick, and was in an episode of American Dad. Oh, I didn't know he did The Big Sick. Wet Hot American Summer is amazing, and if you haven't seen it, you're missing out. You should absolutely watch that movie. I'm going to go 55 as well. Ooh. All right, I'll go 52 as well. I'm going 50. I'm going 54. 51. Oh, so, that's a James. That, yeah, that's James a with the back, the back door cover. Yerky, you're giving yourself the smallest windows possible by backdooring people every single time. We don't kink shame on this podcast. <laughs> Trying to help other people look good. Maybe it'll pay off. He doesn't want cheap wins. He's like, I'm either on the dot or I'm not. <laughs> Last but not least, we got Will Forte. Ooh. McGruber himself, Brother Solomon, Nebraska, and Don Verdeen. <laughs> Another callback. Look, look at that. It's in his name. He's 40. Nice. All right, well, I'm coming in at 50 since I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> 46. I'm going to take the Yerky route, 45. He's 51. Yerky wow. wins. Nice. Mm. So him and Showalter, same, same age. Interesting. Yeah. He's just got the boyish good looks. Thomas Hayden Church also turns Ooh. something uh, today, I, but I just wanted to go with Michael Showalter. Nice. Those were the birthdays, and I'm um, sticking to it. <laughs> Per normal, big old mega list of actors. We draw them randomly. We throw them on a wheel. We spin the wheel, and those five actors on that list were Allison Pill, John Leguizamo, J-Lo, who seemed to be a pod favorite, based on our last conversation, Alicia Silverstone, and none of that really matters, because Emily Olivia Leah Blunt was selected by the wheel. Not selected by the guest, not selected by the Jesus or some entity out there who is outside of our being, but the wheel has decided on Miss Blunt. What do you think controls the wheel, man? The Russians. The world. Zuckerberg. (laughs) (laughs) Al Gore in the World Wide Web. That's that's who controls it. She has just under 45 credits, so pretty pretty easy to consume in terms of overall filmography, and she hasn't done a non-film since 2011, so Emily is very cinema- at this point in her career, and we're going to dig into that. But we always start with a little bit of trivia and see what James has for us, and he's been seemingly getting better and better every episode. So I don't know how he does it. Uh, I felt like that was a little backhanded, but I'll let it go. (laughs) You suck, dude. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, you've played the game with us before, but a quick refresher. I'm going to read three facts. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. And the lie will, in fact, be a fact about one of the uh, many cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. It is your job to guess which one that is. So fact number one, she received the honor of being named Officer of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, which they shortened because that's a very long name, by Queen Elizabeth for services to drama. Fact number two, she was originally cast as Black Widow in Iron Man 2, but dropped out to the scheduling clash with another movie she was filming. In fact, number three, she initially began acting as a form of speech therapy for a debilitating stutter. I'm going to go two is the lie, and I think James is trying to fool us again with Charlize. <laughs> Four episodes in a row. 
Yep. Which is a fair guess because I am fascinated by that woman. I'm going to say that the lie is number three, and that's The Rock, who she is co-starring in the upcoming film Jungle Cruise. If The Rock ever had a stutter, he would still have a stutter because no one would ever make fun of him. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he's so big, man. (laughs) I saw her give an interview where she said The Rock would be part of her dream cast if she was cast into a perfect movie. So she's a big Dwayne Johnson fan. Yeah. Aren't we all? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say number one. That's Helen Mirren. I'm going to follow Warren. I think it's number one as well, but that was actually Caroline D'Souza Correa the sexy Brazilian model in Tokyo Drift. Ah, uh, yes. The, the Queen Elizabeth is very well known for knighting Brazilian models. That's a very good guess. I'm also going to go with number one. I've seen as many Fast and Furious movies as I had seen on the last time I was on the podcast. So uh, I'm going to say it's the one who was driving a car. <laughs> Which is a So fact number three... Uh, she initially began acting as a form of speech therapy for a debilitating stutter is true. At the age of seven, she had a severe stutter. And after a year of multiple failed speech therapy attempts, her mother took her to a relaxation class, you know, trying to find some alternative medicine. And during the class, the teacher asked her to act out a part in a story they were reading and to do it with an accent of someone who's from Northern England. And as a eight-year-old, she did that and her stutter went away. And so she started practicing doing different accents and continued to act out roles in the stories they were reading. And that eventually helped her get over her stutter. So acting helped her remove her stutter from her life. And she actually now currently sits on the board of directors for the American Institute for Stuttering. So I found that very interesting. Wow. Fact number two, she was originally cast as the Black Widow in Iron Man 2, but dropped out due to scheduling clash with another movie she was filming is true. So she was cast, a whole deal's contract signed, but she couldn't get out of the other movie she was doing, which was the Bamaruski, as we've Ooh. called it, known as Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so disappointing. <laughs> I remember that. And as a result, obviously, Scarlett Johansson was cast. And to give you guys an idea of the magnitude of that fuck up, uh, Scarlett Johansson has made $165 million so far from her role wow. as the Black Widow. <laughs> wow. Little, you know, we don't all make the correct career choices. And Emily Blunt still owes, what, like 1.2 mil to pay off her share? (laughs) I think she owes us money for having to watch that movie. And fact number one, so Warren, you were only half right. So receiving the honor of Officer of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth for services to drama. Not yet true about Emily Blunt blunt but is already true about two cast members of the fast and furious franchise more named one of them which is helen mirren and the other one being idris elba so two of those uh, so yeah. at some point i hope emily blunt gets on there and it sounds like jason statham probably deserves one as well like why not just get every english actor in here i don't think he's ever been in a drama <laughs> do they have to be dramas you know <laughs> i just hear drama and so that's what i think it's not crank or uh you know any guy richie you, film you don't think crank was dramatic <laughs> no that was uh exhilarating the man has to jerk off while driving a car 100 miles an hour that's dramatic to me <laughs> i found it to be stressful <laughs> I found it to be extremely unrealistic for experience. It's refreshing to see someone know how to drive a stick shift these days. He was driving too. Well, good job, James. 
I need all the praise I can get, so I appreciate that. You're welcome. And it wasn't backhanded on the fr- front end. I was being I know, genuine. You're very good at this. And Thank you. it's hard to stay fresh, so I'm, I'm proud of you. Speaking of pride, Case, no, there's nothing to have to do with pride. There's no transition there. I just want to hear about Emily Blunt's snapshot on box office history, Case. <laughs> got nothing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, we got to work on those transitions, bro. <laughs> that one fizzled quite a bit. You know, as you guys probably figured out watching her her movies and, and looking at some of the projects she's been in, in it, she measures up at a pretty high level of all the other performers we've looked at. She's in the top 15 in every category except fan ranking, where she ranks 20th and an average of 60.7. So still 60, almost 61% of fan rankings for her movies is, is still pretty impressive. Her biggest box office success would probably have to be A Quiet Place, which pulled $324 million on a $17 million budget. And that return on investment is the fourth highest behind Pulp Fiction, American Pie, and Juno. Hmm. Thanks to having one of the biggest movies in the box office right now, at the time of recording, her star meter is number 10. Damn. And that is the highest rank. The, the next closest on our list is Alicia Vikander at 103. Wow. Wow. The timing of us covering her on this podcast is perfect for that ranking. One thing we don't normally get to do, she is also involved in one of the biggest movies in the box office right now in a sequel to Quiet Place, Quiet Place 2. And according to an article on Yahoo!, it is likely going to be the first movie that grosses $100 million domestically since COVID. So that's pretty <laughs> exciting. Sweet. Hell yeah. Well-deserved. Yeah. yeah. You know, she ranks at you know, a pretty high level across the board. And, and uh, I would expect we have a, you know, we should have pretty high, pretty high evaluation of her tonight. What's the average of all of her scores? Where's she line up? She's first in star ranking, 14th in critic, 20th in fan. Ninth and fourth in uh, two different box office metrics, and that averages out to be sixth overall. Ooh, hot diggity dog. Yeah, she's up there. We've been dealing with folks in the 20s and 30s recently, so. Yes, we have. Maybe a little prelude. That's right. Thanks, Case. Yeah, buddy. Here's the cool thing about Emily Blunt. She has only been acting for 20 years, so there's not a ton to digest here, and we were all well into our movie watching, probably as humans. We know Rigby was, because my dude was watching movies, uh, probably in the freaking crib, watching like uh, Steven Seagal films. Yeah, just watching Seagal films up there. (laughs) So before her first feature film in 2004 that we're going to mention, she grew up in London. She went to the Hurtwood House for high school, which has a performing arts program, as James talked about, dealt with a pretty significant stutter, and acting was kind of her escape from that and a way to deal with her stutter, which is pretty cool. And another fun fact, and I'm surprised you didn't pull it up, James, that she turned down a pop music record contract in high school as well. Good singer, always has been, got a pop record contract that she turned down in high school. I think that was a good thing for her because she, at one point she considered being a Spanish translator for the UN as a profession while she was dabbling in acting. But her debut in acting was actually in a stage play called The Royal Family, where she acted alongside and played the, the granddaughter of Dame Judi Dench. Ever heard of her? Mm. Kind of a big deal. So that was pretty cool. Like coming out of the gate, your first ever acting role. Like we talked about people like acting in like a community play with 
Right. Joe shit giggles like some kid, some little shitty kid who lives down the road and she's acting alongside Judy Dench in her first ever acting role. Pretty cool. And in that role, she won an award for Best Newcomer by the Evening Standard. So coming out of the gate, pretty hot there. She did a couple more plays in 2002. And then her first feature films really were a couple period pieces. One was called Warrior Queen slash Boudicca, where she played a character named Masolda in 03. And then she was in Henry VIII as Catherine. Um, which are both available on YouTube. So feel free if you want to get into the early days of Emily Blunt, check it out. But we're going to dig into for her really first feature film, because those were kind of supporting roles, is her lead role in 2004's My Summer of Love. And Rigby has this one. Yeah, so My Summer of Love, the 2004 coming-of-age drama film, takes place in Britain. And she plays Tamsin. She's an upper-middle-class British teenager who meets... Mona, who's played by Natalie Press, she is a uh, rambunctious, also a teenager, but she's not as well off with money. She lives with her brother above a pub that they that her and her brother inherited after their parents died. This this whole movie takes place like the British. I can't remember the town name now that I'm I'm blanking on it, but it's like it's not like London or anything. It's kind of like a small town in Britain. Both of the girls, when they meet, they're seemingly sick of their current situation in life. Tamsin, who's played by Blunt, as I mentioned, she complains about many aspects of her life, including her father cheating on her mother, uh, while Mona complains about her brother becoming a born-again Christian and ruining... Basically, you're, you're introduced to Mona when she walks in and her brother is pouring down the leftover alcohol in the pub because he's a born-again Christian, so he's trying to like rid himself of every sinful thing in his life. So quite the introduction. I know Kyle loved the born-again Christians in this movie, which we can, we can talk about, but eventually the two girls, even though they were obviously over 18 when this movie was filmed because there's some nudity in it, they are portrayed to be teenagers. But the two girls become attracted to each other, and they develop a sexual relationship. So it's a typical story about short-lived seasonal love that you know is not going to end well. It's a story that we've seen sort of all before, but first off, first off, I'll just say Emily Blunt is fantastic in this role. She's stuck up. She's pretentious, but she's also unhappy and seemingly looking for something better in her life. I say seemingly because near the end of the movie, you realize that <laughs> all that is not as it seems with her character. I don't want to give it away, even though I, even though it's old. The ending's pretty cool, and uh, I wouldn't want to talk about it. You know? The ending leaves a lot of like unanswered questions, so I don't really want to give it away, but it's a great movie, and I'm hoping that you watch it after, after hearing this review, for those of you who haven't, who haven't heard of it. But the movie's directed by uh, Paul Polakowski. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, he's the same guy. He did Cold, did Cold War from a few years ago. Yep, so he's most recently known for doing Cold War from 2018. It did very well on the British awards circuit and has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. I would say not bad for her first major film role. There's a really powerful scene in the movie where because she's so stuck up and just like she's so manipulative in the movie, there's a scene where she tries to pretend – where she pretends to seduce Mona's brother, the born-again Christian – just to prove to herself that she can seduce someone who's trying to ward off that sinful type of behavior. And she does it. And so when she, when he does sort of move towards her, she starts laughing and, (laughs) and realizes that like, this guy's full of shit and I can, I can do it. Like I'm, I'm proud of myself that I can do that. So it's, it's, it's a really kind of gross scene, but the way her acting in it is fantastic. 
because she laughs right in his face. It's hilarious. It's extremely manipulative, and you just kind of feel bad for the guy. I would have never guessed. Patty. Patty Patty. Considine. Also in in America, which is the Jaiman Ansu role that I was tasked to watch, which is good. I would have never guessed that this was Emily Blunt's first film role. Uh, I think for two reasons. One is she's a her performance in it is unbelievable. Like she portrays this type of character perfectly. Someone with like a you know kind of the rich, pretentious, stuck up girl who's got like a darker side that isn't all she says she is. Basically, she tells a lot of lies in the movies, and also like we can talk about the nudity, but like there's a lot of nudity in this scene or in this movie, her included, and like the fact that that was her first role and she was probably, I mean, I don't want to get inside her head, but like, she looked totally comfortable doing it. Like that's, that's one thing that stood out to me is like, holy shit, this is her first like big role. Like someone who had just done a few TV movies, like now she's in the main thick of things. So I was really impressed with her in this movie. I had never heard of it before. And so I was glad I got to watch it. I watched an interview that she gave about the film and she said that she laughed after her audition because she thought that she bombed it so bad and she would never get the part. But I'm glad that she was wrong because I, I enjoyed the movie and I especially enjoyed her performance in it. I was just looking through our list of actors we've covered. And I don't know since James Marsden and Disturbing Behavior have I seen an actor in their first legit role where I was like, that's a, like, as memorable as her in that, in that movie. It was really good. I was thinking that too. I was thinking like, you know, first role that we've seen usually it's a really small performance. It's not like the lead, but not only is she the lead in this, it's also a great performance and a great film. I couldn't really find like, I was looking to see if it was like highly acclaimed, if it was like a, a top like LGBTQ movie or like one that people consider like an iconic, maybe gay cinema movie, but I couldn't really see that, but I can, I wouldn't be surprised if people think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's good chemistry between the two leads. There is. Oh, no, man. Grease ended up all right, and that was a summer of love. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. It's a good one out of the gate, for sure. All right, so over the next five years, she gets pretty busy Come after my summer of love. Her only recurring TV character role was in the show Empire. Sounds like she's pretty solid in that. I haven't seen it. I don't know if anybody else has. But 05, interesting enough, is the year she started dating Michael Buble. And they were together for three years live together and that's a weird fun fact he actually wrote the song everything about her really yeah no it didn't are you no serious way. what song is that it's the song everything i don't know it <laughs> you think i know michael blue blade hits bro? like i hit you with the facts i'm not singing the song <laughs> you need more commitment to your craft james come on same year, 05, while she's starting her uh, buble lifestyle, she's in The Strange Case of Sherlock Holmes and Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, she played Jean, which will tie to some other later Sherlock Holmes-y types of things in her career, which we'll get to. But same year, she's in Gideon's Daughter as Natasha alongside Bill Nye, and she won her first Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress in a Series. That next year, one of her most famous roles, she plays Emily fitting in the devil wears prada she's the best character in the movie i think she's like uh, the mentor to anne hathaway's character working for the tyrant that is meryl meryl streep and miranda Priestley or whatever her name is in it she's like always dressed to the nines and is like really scared and intimidated and and the way comes on and she's kind of doesn't really know what to expect and so the chemistry between those two because anne hathaway is is so what's the word just like 
Naive. Naive, yes, that's what I was mm-hmm. looking for. And Emily's been around for years and has seen the abusive behavior and just like the her, you know, intimidation that she brings. It's a good it's a great role and I think she's the best in it for sure. She's the most believable person in the whole movie. Like I completely agree with you on that. She she covers every emotion working for just a total bitch of a boss. But mm-hmm. like that friends who've worked in New York and you know, your first job out of college. It's gonna suck. <laughs> it just is. Like you, it, it, especially in a an industry like that. Like mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway's t- super unrealistic in it. Adrian Grenier's and like all of her friends suck in this. They're like, <laughs> why? Why are you working so hard? Like, why are you doing this, man? Why are you working, man? <laughs> She's the only person who actually puts forth any effort to like do anything. Her and Emily Blunt. That's my only beef with that movie. <laughs> it's a, it's a great movie though, and yeah. like I, I you know thoroughly I, I'd seen it before, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. Very rewatchable, very rewatchable. And she won a Golden Globe again for Best Supporting Actress, and also got a BAFTA nom. Doing some good stuff on the award, at least with the uh, Hollywood foreign press at this moment in in the mid two thousands. Two thousand seven, she's in the Jane Austen book club. Follows that up as Ruthie and Dan in real life. Also seven. Oh seven's a busy year because she's also in Charlie Wilson's War mm-hmm. as Jane, uh, which we talked about on the PSH episode and his iconic character. And uh, she plays kind of a a sexy character who's frolicking with Tom Hanks in that one. I don't remember if she's in any more scenes in the, just that one where she's in the hotel room with him. Doesn't she just sing Angel? Is that her who sings that one, or is that another girl who sings Angel? That is her. Okay. I mean, she's a good singer, so if you say... Yeah, she, she, did, she did a great job. It's, it's a good song. Great job. Good job, Emily. We're proud of you. <laughs> Next year, she's in The Great Buck Howard as Valerie, a p- playing a publicist character. Not, as, not terribly important to the story. No. There's not much more to say on that, but that follows up to 2008's Sunshine Cleaning. She plays Nora alongside Amy Adams and Alan Arkin. Had parts to it. Yeah, thought that she played a fun character, and she brought like the humor to the story. She brought neurotic humor to Devil Wears Prada, and you know she brought humor to this, which is you know it's a dark comedy, but it's still it's got its parts. I thought the casting in this movie was great. All of them were just cast really, really well. Mm-hmm. She facilitates the most cringy scene in the whole movie when homegirl decides to chase a kitten outside oh yeah the next thing you know she looks in the house on fire i'm like oh amy adams is really going to take this well this is going to go very well if you like early amy adams it's a must watch just kind of see what yeah. see what she's doing she looks the exact same yeah she does <laughs> it's crazy but 2008 the buble era ends and she meets john krasinski at like a dinner Mutual friends are sitting at another table. He comes over, introduces her, cracks some jokes. And then next thing you know, they're together, still together today. And probably one of the more like well-known and liked couples in Hollywood these days. And they live a really cool life. with two. They have two kids now, and they're just a really cute couple. I'm glad that happened. Michael Buble would have been awful in a quiet place. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, she's in The Young Victoria. She plays Queen Victoria, and that, that role garnered her some noms for Golden Globes and Critics' Choice for Best Actress. So again, going back to the period pieces from earlier and doing some good work there. Makes the obligatory appearance in The Simpsons in 2009 as one of Lisa's friends. And that, maybe it was The Simpsons move, who knows, but 
she won the BAFTA Britannia Award for British Artist of the Year in 2009. I think that's mostly because of the young Victoria. Doubt it had anything to do with The Simpsons, but that's a cool little moment for her in her career, especially only eight years into her actual acting. In the 2010, she has her first pairing with Benicio Del Toro in The Wolfman, which she plays Gwen. And I saw a video online talking about like her on five underrated roles and someone put this movie in there and I think they should be shut down and eliminated from the internet because <laughs> that movie is not very good. It's so boring. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. You would think it wouldn't. Yeah. With her, Anthony Hopkins, Benicio del Toro, you're thinking like, this is a really good cast. It's a remake of like a film from the 40s or something like that and it's not very good. Like we recommended others, I, I don't necessarily recommend going to see that one, but you know, choose your adventure. You live your own life. And then, as James had mentioned earlier, she uh, originally was going to be cast as Natasha in Iron Man 2 in 2010, and chose otherwise and decided to make some bonehead decisions instead. But she's done well in some other areas, which we'll get to. But that takes us to her largest audience gap in 2010. It is the movie called Wild Target. And if you are new here, the way this works, our guest months in, so in this case, Yerky, takes whatever review I would have tackled in the, in this case. And based on what I already know from Yerky's quick review that he gave me over text, I think he saved me from some pain and agony here. But I guess we'll find out in a second. Coming off of that, you know, BAFTA award for British Artist of the Year, you know, Wild Target is a pretty fitting follow-up. <laughs> this was my first time seeing Wild Target. I don't know if anyone else had the pleasure. It's directed by Jonathan Lynn of My Cousin Vinny. Phenomenal movie. Ooh, mm-hmm. And uh, 1985 Clue which uh, I think is held up okay. <laughs> it's a 33% of Rotten Tomatoes with a 56% audience score. Uh, so when I first looked up this movie, didn't know anything about it. I thought I might be one of those people who would like it. It was described as a black comedy about an assassin played by Bill Nye, the British actor, not the science guy. And I looked endlessly on how do you pronounce the guy's name? And I, I saw Nye over <laughs> and over. So I'm sticking with it. But Emily Blunt portrays Rose. She's an aspiring con artist who rips off a, some ruthless art collector. Bill Nye's character is hired to kill Rose after she sells the villain a fake painting. But Nye decides not to after seeing her steal a bunch of things at a farmer's market and then decides he's in love with her? Question mark. <laughs> From there, the film adds in Rupert Grint just to keep things quirky. He's literally found in a parking lot. Uh, While someone is trying to kill Rose, he might be a homeless person. He was holding a sign. But he gets tied to the group for almost no reason. With Blunt, Nye, and Grin on the run together, they really quickly become an unfunny family where every little thing becomes a shouting match as they try to avoid being killed by a bunch of inept assassins. Grin keeps things pretty light, but also adds a really confusing subplot of like homoerotic themes between him and Bill Nye where the assassin actually I know you're laughing but like he's accused of of potentially being gay by his mother which he denies earlier in the film but then Nye actually confesses that he might have feelings for Grant at some point in the movie and then it's immediately dropped it's never expanded upon beyond that listen there are a lot of words I would use to describe Bill Nye uh, homoerotic is not one of them <laughs> that I would ever consider. So. I don't know. He had a lot of dicks on his face in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> Slimy dicks. 
like I was intrigued and I thought, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I can, I can see where this is going, but it didn't go anywhere. Similarly with Grit, you know, they kind of hint as him being this like potential apprentice assassin. But again, that's, that idea is dropped almost as quickly as it's, as it's picked up. Uh, the only consistency that I found throughout the movie was that Emily Blunt um, and I are just awful to each other, but also somehow end up romantically involved by the end of the movie. Oh. Overall, this movie completely tanked with an $8 million budget uh, and only making $3.5 million back. So I can't imagine that it did a ton for Emily Blunt's career at this point with the other accolades and films she'd been in. But the the real problems with this film are more about the writing and some of the production decisions rather than some of the performances actually given. So mm-hmm. Blunt's character itself, it starts out okay. She's a less than confident con artist, shown actually practicing her pitch to would-be fake art buyers. She seems bubbly, happy-go-lucky initially, but then quickly turns into kind of manic and generally unlikable. She really has a knack for doing really the wrong thing at all times, but really in an annoying way rather than any type of comedic one. Another strange thing, she's pretty promiscuous, which is fine, good for her, no strong feelings on that, except for she has a line that she uses every single time where she asks people, how much do you weigh before entering the bone zone? And that's a weird question. (laughs) And it happens multiple times in the movie. And by the time it happens to Bill Nye, who's her senior by like, a billion years it's really cringy it's weird that you said you know we don't kink shame and we all agree on this podcast we don't kink shame and yet here you are kink shaming this woman that's you know (laughs) if if she's into weights that's her thing man i'm look i'm it's i don't even know that it's a kink because it's it's like we're not even seeing weight consistency across the people that she's choosing to engage with you know wouldn't recommend, you know, just Google Martin Freeman's teeth and Bill Nye holding a gun. It doesn't do a ton for Emily Blunt. I looked it up on Ask G's and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> yeah, Alta Vista's coming up blank. <laughs> you have to Google Ask Jeeves first and then. It'll so when I'm up. in my Netscape browser, what am I supposed to do? Smarter Child hasn't returned my IM, so <laughs> I don't know that much about it. <laughs> 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 Greg, I think I think you can download the clip the on, on Kazaa or Bear Share if you look hard enough. <laughs> Maybe LimeWire if you're lucky too. Good lord, smarter child. Any younger people listening at the moment are like, "What the hell are any of these references?" Does anyone like this movie? I mean, I'm I feel like 33 percent is generous. You might have been the only person who watched it. I'm gonna be honest with you, Yerky. Okay. When when I originally put this on the streaming options, it was on Prime. And then when I looked again, it said it was not available. So I think you were the sacrificial lamb. Definitely region locked. So someone got to pay for this on Fandango.bullshit. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, somebody just got really excited because somebody paid for that movie to be viewed. It's like, thank God I got some fucking residuals here. <laughs> like I said last time. We talked about Yellowbird 200% more than any other podcast has ever done in the last two episodes. So we're here for the little man. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to do my part. (laughs) She turns down Iron Man 2. She does Wild Target. And then she follows that up with Gulliver's Travels. How did she like keep working after that? That's like strike three. You're out. (laughs) I'll cover it later because I I made that same realization Mm -hmm. is even in these shitty movies, you watch it and you go, you know, she's pretty good. This movie sucks, but she's doing pretty good in this. And yeah. I made that realization in a couple of her roles. Gulliver's Travels is a great example of 
there's a lot of things wrong with that movie. I don't necessarily think it's Emily Blunt's character as Princess Mary. But if you want to hear our long-winded review of that, you should go check out the very popular Chris O'Dowd episode, which I believe is our second most listened to episode in the catalog to this day after Natasha Leone. Nice. The data shows that if you get a really low score, you tend to be um, a pretty popular episode most of the time, unless you're Gabriel Byrne, which still, the (laughs) Burnaholics still haven't taken that and run with it, which I'm pretty upset with them. It's probably because... For good reason. <laughs> it's because uh, yeah. I don't think we see eye to eye on their beloved actor. Yeah. Yeah. They're all in Burnaholics Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> they did not make it through the first review before they, every one of them turned it off. They're like, oh, they're just going to roast our boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you mentioned, you know, we already talked about the Black Widow, and I, and I know we were, you're going to touch on I just don't want to miss this chance to make the connection. But so she turned down, Petty, we turned down Peggy Carter, too, which again let off yeah. that spinoff. Yep. And so I'm curious. So in like the whole nerd realm right now, fans are calling for her and John Krasinski to play Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic. She's going to do it. The reboot of the reboot of the reboot, since we all know that the 1994 Fantastic Four movie was the definitive. They've never done Fantastic Four right. So I hope whatever they do. Hey, fourth time's the time. Yeah, just don't make a shitty movie. I really like Krasinski for that role. But I don't like them together. Mm, Interesting. What if they cast Michael Bublé? Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) As Sue Storm? Like, I'm in. Yeah. Do that. I'm going to see different chemistry. I've seen them act together, and I I don't need to see them act again. And it's also not fair to the kids to have them be gone for so long. (laughs) That a boy. Think about the children. Come on. That's right. You're looking out for family, yeah. Warren. As a family man yourself, you're you're thinking about the family, and that's that's pretty. That's right. So when does Doug Reamer care about kids? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping that Marvel will pull. Like, I feel like they've been on a real like troll train lately. So I'm really hopeful mm-hmm. that they're gonna like cast her in some like incredibly obscure, obscure character, like she thing. And that's a real character. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a real character. That's like Marvel's like thing, right? They have She-Hulk, which is a literal upcoming show. Yeah. And they have She-Thing. Then they've got She-Groot and then Dr. She-Strange. <laughs> <laughs> you cast this like tremendously talented, dramatic actress and she's beautiful and you make her 100% CGI rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All it is is yeah. her voice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's gravelly distorted. After some dominating the 2000s, the early 2010s, maybe not making some great career decisions here in terms of taking certain roles and turning down other ones, especially on the Marvel side. But outside of that, in 2011, she played Elise in the Adjustment Bureau. The movie's got a potential. The, the plot, like the, the concept of it is brilliant, I think. And I think the chemistry between her and Matt Damon is good, but I was not, impressed with, I was not impressed with the movie at all. Matt Damon. I enjoyed it. I, I think it's a fun watch. I, I like how clever it is. I, I think maybe what people hold against it is it could have been great and it mm-hmm. was just yeah. good. Yeah. And I think that's not anything because of her, Matt Damon. I thought they had the chemistry. It, it's like a, it's more of a romantic movie than a sci-fi movie, but it was kind of sold as like a sci-fi movie. Yeah. yeah. And when you watch it, it's more like about their relationship than anything else. So if you're wondering why she turned on Peggy Carter, it's because 2011 was probably the busiest year of her film career because she's in the Adjustment Bureau. She is in 
Nomeo and Juliet, as I mentioned, this whole Sherlock Holmes theme seems to be maybe something she's nerdy about. She got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress for her role in Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Uh, she played Harriet. And she was in Your Sister's Sister, played Iris. I know that's one that Cam was a big fan of. He, he tweeted at us about that. I enjoyed that one. Just Mark Duplass. He, he really can't do any wrong. No, he's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then she's in The Muppets as Miss Piggy's receptionist to play off her character in Devil Wears Prada, which is kind of fun. That's probably why she turned down Peggy Carter, because she had five other movies she had already probably signed on to. And was like, there's money coming the door, so I don't need to do this uh, superhero thing. Forbes lists Emily Blunt as the sixth wealthiest actress in Hollywood. Kyle, I feel like you're right. And then with all the time travel we're about to get into, maybe she's playing the long <laughs> game. <She just laughs> no, she's like, look... When I land that she thing role, it's all going to pay off. That's yep. true. She's like, I've been spending 20 years to get the right Marvel role. Who knows? Maybe she's smarter than we are. Probably. Actually, she's probably very much smarter than we are. Definitely um, is. That's not a I mean, high bar to... I mean, she took yeah. a role in the five-year engagement in 2012, which is a pretty fun little movie where um, we have a crossover with Alison Brie, and she has a very funny... Um, scene where her and Allison Brie talk in like Elmo and Cookie Monster voices <laughs> that is very fun to watch. And Chris Pratt. Oh, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a loaded one. I enjoy the five-year engagement. I, I think it's it's a good little romantic movie. It's smart, too. I watched that movie for this podcast and it quickly enforced that I will never be an effective film critic because the fact that the first thing you hear is Van Morrison. I immediately was like, oh, I think I'm going to watch this movie. I, I like this. The whole movie I like just because it's Van Morrison is the soundtrack. <laughs> That's a great reason to watch a movie, man. <laughs> I don't watch movies because I didn't like a commercial I saw about it one time once, and it ends up being a great movie. You're good, dude. <laughs> um, 2012, same year, another crossover. We have Looper, which she's in with JGL. She plays Sarah, and I know I watched that today. I know a few, but we were talking about a little bit in the chat. Her character is pretty cool in that movie. I'd watch that movie every day. Yeah, this is a movie that uh, my joke about seeing a preview for it and not liking it and never watching it. This is a movie that that is true. I saw the prosthetics on JGL's face. I was like, he doesn't look like Bruce Willis, and then I never watched it. And it has like amazing reviews, and I watched it for this podcast, and the movie rocks. It is so good. Yep, I remember when that movie came out, again, like totally missed it in the theaters. It was a bit of a sleeper. And then I caught it in like the $2 theater movie and proceeded to watch it like almost weekly for like a month. Now, one, because I was living in a place with no air conditioning. So like a two hour sci-fi was awesome to just get a reprieve from the Boise (laughs) summer. But no, I mean, this movie rips and and I just think is such a, I mean, fantastic performances across the board with, again, I think some really clever plot points in writing. This is one of those movies like I own on DVD, probably probably other formats at this point, where if somebody hasn't seen this, I'm like, we're watching Looper. That's it. Yeah. It's a good friend. I remember her being good with a shotgun in that movie. <laughs> for this. JJL is pretty impressive. The little kid was pretty impressive, too. I yeah, was like, this kid's like five, and he's like showing some range. I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Well, I don't like the movie because the time travel logic just does not. The movie's, <laughs> the movie's great. The movie's a lot of fun. And on Blunt's character, like not to not to drop like the Idaho street cred just because that doesn't play very often. But like her character, she has a great job of that like rural farmer like balance of distrust of others while also like 
caring about your neighbors. Like yeah. that's uh, yeah. my my dad grew up on a farm and and I spent a lot of time up in rural Idaho on the place that he grew up. And then that really, I mean, was encapsulated incredibly well in this film where there's that constant distrust, but also that like need and understanding that there's a reliance on others. So I, I just think she did a phenomenal job. I think this was this was the first movie that I remember seeing her in. That I remember her like seeing and being like, who is that? Mm-hmm. Her character comes in late in the movie, like the back third of it. And it not only wraps the storyline up really well, but introduces kind of a new twist on the storyline. Yeah. And she steals every scene she's in. She adds like this emotional punch to it. Yeah. It's, it's her emotional arc that really yep. like kicks the movie into gear. Oh man, that, that, that was a good looper <laughs> review. It's a damn good looper review. So go check that out if you haven't yet. It's on Stars. Or in my DVD shelf, if you need to come and hang. Ooh, that's true. And Yerky will have good beers. Good beers. I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to ready to watch Looper. <laughs> <laughs> Top notch snuggler too. So you're in good shape. Married. Also clarifying. So 2012, same year, her sister marries Stanley Tucci. They met at her wedding, and they did not plan for them to meet each other, but they ran into each other, connected, and now she is Stanley Tucci's sister-in-law, or Stanley Tucci is her brother-in-law, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, I almost made that one of the uh, interesting facts. I was like, oh, Tucci! But that, I, then I realized, like, I don't think everyone has the same love for my Italian brethren like I do, <laughs> so I was like, we'll just talk about it later. So she's officially in the Tucci gang, if you're an SNL fan. Or he rolls with the blunts. There you go. <laughs> that's a wedding hashtag and a half. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. A roll with the blunt. Wouldn't take Krasinski if you paid me. I'm sticking with blunt. Apparently Krasinski even has recognized that blunt is a better last name than Krasinski. These self-aware Polish, I'll tell you. So same year, she's an Arthur Newman as Mike or Charlotte. She plays this one character, but she has two different identities because it's a dual identity character. Same with Colin Firth's character as Mike and Charlotte. And her character ODs on a whole bunch of cough syrup at the start of the movie. And it's actually one of Lucas Hedges' first films. I think it was his third ever role or something like that. So another smaller indie type film. Again, I don't think it's a great film. It's probably in the 40 to 50 range. But yeah, she shows a little bit of a different side as she's playing a... She's she's definitely not the an empathetic mother from Looper. She's playing a very different type of character. So you get to see a, a little bit different range from her on that standpoint. And that takes us to 2014's Edge of Tomorrow, which is also one of her more famous roles. She plays Rita in a role where she had to learn a little Krav Maga in a, what I think is a pretty awesome movie. And I think you guys probably agree. Yeah, she's a total badass in this movie too. Yeah, it rocks. Absolutely. Another movie I saw the preview of, and I was like, oh my God, Tom Cruise in an action Groundhog's Day? This movie's going to suck. And then I watched it like on HBO or whatever when they had it, and I saw it had great reviews. And, and like 30 minutes into the movie, when like the plot device happened, I was like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. This movie's amazing. Yeah, I felt the same way. I avoided it and then watched it just like when I couldn't sleep one night, and I was into it the whole way. She was great, and again, her chemistry with a, a strong actor like Tom Cruise. I mean, say what you want about Tom Cruise. Like, the guy is just, he just, he can just make a kick-ass movie. He delivers. Yeah, he brings it. She definitely contributes to this, too, because she's like, I mean, she is like the badass of the movie. Tom Cruise is kind of like, his role is not really, 
he's the fuddling kind of pretty boy and right. she's the actual badass. Right, which was which was a, a cool a cool play that they did with her. So it's a great movie. Definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. I mean, in order for her to co-star as a again, like as the action hero next to Tom Cruise, it's like the only other person I think that we've seen that recently is like Henry Cavill. And he literally plays Superman. Mm-hmm. So like right. she just crushes it. And I know that this a huge fan of this movie, I know I got a ton of praise for the use of practical effects, and I know they spoke specifically about how well how dedicated Emily was to that entire process. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, nothing but praise for this film. For me. And it's got our boy Bill Paxton in it. Rest in peace. Uh, oh, yeah. And he's great, dude. Playing the like, yeah. Aw shucks country boy. Who's a real dickhead to all the mm-hmm. like new military guys. It's perfect. All right. Largest critic gap 2014. So we're cruising along here and James has it. And he's probably going to talk a little bit about Emily using some of her singing talents in into the woods that'll be like a very brief section of my (laughs) review so (laughs) most of it is going to be focusing on how odd this movie is um so into the woods came out 2014 it's a musical fantasy film it's directed by rob marshall who's actually in a bunch of musicals he i believe he did chicago it's adapted from stephen sondheim's broadway musical of the same name which came out in the 80s it's inspired by grim fairy tales. So it's got all the classics all woven in there. Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, Jack and the Beanstalk, and uh, Rapunzel. The way it ties all of these stories together is a little odd. It is uh, centered on a childless couple who's uh, set out to end a curse that's placed on them by a witch. And Emily Blunt is the wife of that childless couple. Its ensemble cast is pretty outrageous. It is Emily Blunt, Meryl Streep, Chris Pine, Anna Kendrick, James Corden, Tracy Ullman, and even a brief cameo of Johnny Depp, who plays the big bad wolf. This movie has been in production hell since the Broadway musical came out. It was originally being adapted in the early 1990s, but the rights to it were sold and bought by so many different production companies that it didn't actually go into production until 2012 when Disney greenlit the project. But Disney greenlit the project, uh, again, with that cast, with a pretty small budget of only $50 million. Everyone on that cast had to take pretty major pay cuts to put this movie together. I think that might be because Disney maybe had some forward-thinking ideas of how well this would do. With the exception of Johnny Depp, who I'll get into in a minute, the entire cast that I mentioned did a really good job in this. Meryl Streep was actually nominated for an Academy Award for her performance as the witch. Emily Blunt plays, and this is her character's name, I'm not being sexist here, the baker's wife. And she's the main character of the central plot of the movie, and it's that she's unable to have kids, and which is ironic because she was actually pregnant during the entire filming of this movie. Oh, wow. Very ironic. Yeah, so she went from four months pregnant to seven months pregnant. And if you don't know that, it's not noticeable. But obviously, since I did know that, I was like, oh, please let me see. And they do a really good job hiding it. She does an amazing job not only singing, because she's a tremendously talented singer, but like bringing warmth to a rather dark character. Every scene she's in is like substantially more interesting than the other side plots. And it's because of how well she humanizes this character. But other than the cast doing a great job in their individual performances, there is not a lot of positive things I can say about this movie. Accurate. The shift in tone from the first half of the movie to the second half of the movie is so abrupt and darkly disturbing that I'm actually shocked it's rated PG. People tend to forget that like grim fairy tales are very dark, so I don't fault the movie for that because most of those fairy tales are coming from a dark place. But it's completely 
completely unnecessary in this movie, and it, it makes like the message you're trying to get across kind of feel unearned. Johnny Depp as the Big Bad Wolf, and you all know how the Big Bad Wolf story goes, but in the movie, he looks more like a human than an animal, and he just has like wolf ears and like painted on whiskers. So it makes his stalking and obsession of trying to trick Little Red Riding Hood into like this implicitly sexual and creepy interaction. That, a bit rapey. Yeah, it gives off like a pedophilia vibe since it's a grown man stalking a child. But the second half of this movie was so jarringly different and dark that I looked up if the play was like this and it actually explained a lot. So the play was actually substantially darker than the movie and was 100% aimed at adult audiences. And in explaining what he was going for, Sondheim said he wanted to examine like what actually happens in the ever after when someone lives happily ever after. I thought that sounded really fascinating, but that is not what this movie is. Uh, the Disney movie that clearly wanted to cash in on this weird doesn't deserve PG rating uh, and wants kids seeing it so they could make a ton of money is overtly adult and depressing. And like shit randomly happens. Like there's no reason for this depressing shit to happen so instead of being like deep and thought-provoking and a story that kind of focuses on what Sondheim's vision was which was like the inevitable like disappointments that you see as an adult and how childhood fantasies can't last forever I'm firmly on the audience's side and I will never be watching this movie again and I did that without spoiling all the depressing shit that just comes out of nowhere so if you want to see this movie and it sounds like it's for you go right ahead but i'm warning you the first half you're like oh it's all right it's a kid's movie and the second half you're like what the hell like i would never have this conversation with a small child like this movie is being aimed at this is a miserable watch there is 100 percent way too much james corden in this film the first line in the movie comes from james corden i was like god fuck like, this is what I'm going to get myself. James Corden's so annoying. I listened to about two minutes of the first song, and they go, <sighs> I get to the point when she's, like, opening the window. She was like, I want to have a baby. And I was like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> I just turn, <laughs> turned it off. Good use of your time, Mark. I'm not a James Corden fan, so I'm glad I this one. But she got to sing. She got to sing. I'm sure that's why she did it. Next to Meryl Streep, I thought she did the best, and it adds the actual heart to the movie and it's a movie that does not have a lot of it. <laughs> I don't disagree. My gripe is not with Emily Blunt in that movie, that's for sure. So 2015 is a big year for her. First off, she becomes a US citizen. So, hey, welcome to the crowd. Yeah, uh, What a huge mistake. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, just, no shit. So she becomes part of the, the US club and does Sesame Street as uh, Yerky had mentioned earlier, you know, she does a does an episode there and hangs out with the kids. But the big one in 2015 is her role as Kate in Sicario, which she won. She got a Critic Choice nom for Best Actress, and I feel like she probably should have got more. Second best movie of 2015. So good, man. Yeah, it's excellent. I love yeah. Sicario. This movie was so fucking awesome. I remember going to see it in theaters with my dad after work on a Friday. And we walked in and like I was glued in yeah. the entire time. Den Denny Villeneuve is a fucking master. He's a man. He can't do wrong. Yeah. The movie was gripping. It was, you know, on your on your seat. It was heart pounding. I mean, that whole scene going through the tunnels with the, mm -hmm. the night vision, mm -hmm. everything, the music is fucking intense. Like it is just 
it, it's awesome. It is so awesome. You know, in the opening scene with her character, where they find all those bodies in like the drywall mm. of the house, like <laughs> you know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, this is gonna be awesome, and it never really stops. I mean, it's just intensity scene after intense scene. The whole movie rides on her character's ethical complex. For sure. Yeah. It it starts and ends with her and they have that really intense emotional scene where he's like, You gotta sign this or it's suicide. Mm-hmm. He's like, Yeah, we did it by the book. And she you could tell she's like, That's not me. Like I'll never sacrifice my ethics like this. And he's like, You need to move somewhere else because this is a land of wolves and you're not a wolf. She's definitely the most vulnerable character in the movie. Like mm-hmm. she obviously everyone she works with is like this butch, like has a beard. They look like Navy SEALs in a way, you know, but they're like, they're either like mm-hmm. FBI agents or like Border Patrol or DHS or Defense Department, whatever. But she definitely is the one, like, it takes the most toll on her. And she obviously, she like chain smokes throughout the whole movie because she's just so like stressed about everything. And her and Benicio are so good that you forget that Daniel Kaluuya is right there as a supporting actor. He just kind of gets lost in the shuffle yeah. in all of this. Roland's awesome in it too. Yeah, true. The scene where she gets, where she goes home with, what's the guy's name from like Punisher? Bernthal. John, yeah. John Bernthal. Yeah. She, the scene where she goes home and realizes that he's like a member of the, or he's like an informant with the cartel is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This is my favorite Emily Blunt role. I loved her in this movie. It's hard to debate you. I would agree with you. I think it's, I think it's her best one. Mm-hmm. In terms of the nuance. She portrays the viewer's perspective really well where like she can hold her own and she's tough but that's not what is setting her back and what's setting her back is how like she's ethical and no one else's and the whole time you're like oh but like i kind of get their point but i kind of get her point and she's dealing and you see her deal with that like internal struggle and then when you're like no she's right they're fucking up and they're like yeah we we don't care oh okay Okay, yeah, this is a tough spot to be in for her. All right, lowest critic score 2016 is The Huntsman, Winner's War, and Warren has it. Great cast. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Charlize Theron, Nick Frost, Emily Blunt, Jessica Chastain. The second or third one? The third one in this whole thing. But this whole movie is, you know, the sequel to it, and it basically kind of gets into a little bit of Ravenna's background. And her sister, who you know is Emily Blunt, who her name is Freya, F R E Y A, and you know Ravenna has superpowers, but Freya doesn't. And some events happen with a child being killed, and all of a sudden Freya becomes what's her name from <laughs> from Frozen. The one who can freeze shit. Um, yeah, so this Elsa? movie's basically yeah, this movie's basically frozen. Two storms. With two two sisters kind of fight against each other. You know, em- Emily Blunt. She she starts out as this nice person, then she becomes you know evil. She realizes that you know her sister was actually the one that killed the kid, and you know it, it's you know her redemption is saving uh, two characters, Hemsworth and Chastain. And I mean, is this is another like Brothers Grimm story, you know, fairy tale. And so it's it's love here, love there. They think this happened. And so they're mad at that person. But that was not really what happened. It was a spell. And it's dumb. Um, I get why it's the lowest shitload of production value into it. Graphics are all right. And the like I said, the cast is good. You know, it, it seems like these people just owed somebody a favor, and so they're 
kind of cashing in on it. Not really sure why she did it. Just kind of was what it was. Yeah, a lot of Teen Choice Awards, you know, nominated for seven of them. Damn. Yeah, Choice uh, Lip Lock with uh, Hemsworth and Chastain. That's that's hot. <laughs> couple couple songs. I saw it a number of years ago. I don't really remember much outside of Nick Frost's character. But for a lowest critic score, do you think it was terrible or just meh? If it's going to be the lowest critic score, I want it to be so bad. Yeah. Like, I, I, want, it, I want it to hurt. <laughs> you know, Look, go check out Wild Target. I probably will. <laughs> do I have a 16 on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if a sixteen's really what it should be. It's like a, it's like a thirty or forty, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe like a yeah. twenty-five. Huh. There's still enough to it. Like it makes sense. It's a cohesive story. It's just, yeah, it's competent. You're disappointed by the cast and what they, you know, what the the result is. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Warren. At least next time you get uh, something a little bit better. Hopefully. Next couple of years, 2016 to 2017, she hosted SNL in, I think it was December of 2016. So check that box. That's a big one for any actor or actress to do at some point in their career. Bruno Mars was the guest. 2016 as well. She was in The Girl on the Train. She played Rachel, which she got BAFTA and SAG noms for Best Lead Actress. I don't know if you guys learned this as I did. There is a The Girl on the Train on Netflix. When I looked up Emily Blunt, it showed up on the list. Yeah. But it is not the Emily Blunt version. It is the Bollywood Indian version yep. from 2021. Did you so know I downloaded that for a flight. No, I did not watch it. I skipped through and I went, that's not Emily Blunt. And then I hit the little fast forward button. And I, went, and I went, oh, I got hoodwinked. Over the next couple of years, though, uh, she does Animal Crackers, some voice acting alongside her husband. Two voice acting roles. This one alongside Krasinski available on netflix as well and then my little pony the movie she played two characters tempest shadow and fizzle pop berry twist which i think are hilarious names um also available on tubi for the my little pony fans out there i'm pretty sure pretty sure they prefer the name bronies yes we do hey gurky which of the munsons do you think is the biggest brony <laughs> oh boy that sounds like a trick question that i'm not gonna answer there's a correct answer to this <laughs> is we talked about lowest critic score. Let's pivot back to highest critic score to a movie we've mentioned a few times, but we're going to get into it in a little bit more depth, and that's A Quiet Place. In case, he's going to talk about it. I won the lottery in this episode. This is probably the most enjoyable movie that I've watched in the uh, 38 episodes we've had. I'm going to tell a quick story about when I watched this movie in the theater. I'm going to give a short synopsis, then I want to hear your guys' take on it. So when I went and watched this movie, I think I was actually watching it as part of my movie pass experience. <laughs> the theater was packed, which I generally tend to avoid, but it was a pretty popular movie when I went out. I felt like everybody in the movie theater who was whispering, checking their phones, eating popcorn, or opening candy was doing it through a flipping megaphone. <laughs> Every noise was so loud. And, uh, don't you know that's a quiet place? <laughs> and I was sitting like in the front third of the theater, and I just kept like turning around, like, come on, people. I became so self conscious about it. I didn't eat any of my popcorn, I didn't drink any of my soda. But the best part was, by about halfway through the movie, everybody else, like, was so intensely focused on this movie that I think everybody else was doing the same thing. Yep. James and I saw this together in uh, downtown Indy. Did you guys have the same experience? I remember not being able to eat my popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, this movie has a 96% critic and 82% fan, which I truly believe is because of a lot of fans saw this in the theater and were probably thrown off by how 
quote unquote loud the movie theater was. Whereas critics, a lot of times they just go to screening theaters. Right. And so they were able to really enjoy this movie in a very quiet atmosphere, kind of like I did for my viewing of it for this episode. So Quiet Place is a 2018 American horror film directed by John Krasinski. The movie starts after 473 days into an apocalyptic event occurs, and we're really not sure what's going on at this point. All we're sure is that in the opening scene, they are trying to be really quiet. Ten minutes into the movie, we're abruptly (laughs) made aware as to the cause of the apocalypse and why they're being so quiet. From there on, as fans, we're put on the edge of our seats, get very nervous when they're about to step on something or when they're about to make some noise. And they do a really good job of of putting us to that spot. When she steps on that nail, (laughs) her acting is so convincing that you almost feel like you're stepping on the nail yourself (laughs) while she's in labor. Agreed. It is absolutely bananas. I loved it. I'm I'm excited to watch the second one, Case. I know you've seen the second one. Um, I'm jealous of you, but I am uh, not quite at the point where I could go uh, to the movie theaters. I also saw the second one. I always felt like the childbirth scene, like that that was the actual like birth of that movie concept, right? Like the whole idea of like, how do you put that like classic, like horror movie monster against like a childbirth scene? And then what's like the hardest thing to do, Yeah, right? Stay quiet. Like I, mm-hmm. I just thought for me, I felt like the entire movie was built around that concept, mm-hmm. which I think is, brilliant and something that we just really hadn't seen mm-hmm. before so i'm not a huge horror movie fan i really enjoy it and i just think because they kept the concept so simple and i just think again like just played on everybody's in like fears in a, in a perfect way so really wonderful and wonderful performance from blood and their daughter being deaf really like amps it up too with the sound design and they pan to her and dead i mean dead quiet right she can't see these monsters coming i think that added to the fright level of it all i was extremely late to the game on this and i hadn't i hadn't actually seen a quiet place until until earlier this week so i haven't seen the second one but i was into it i really enjoyed it and i agree kyle that the scene where she's going to the basement and she steps on the nail was excruciating Mm -hmm. i haven't screamed that loud when someone stepped on the nail since (laughs) since, uh marv and home alone (laughs) (laughs) Good for John casting his wife in the role and knowing that he was going to have to deal with all hell at home if he didn't. The conditions that that she was forced to act in in this movie was having to be quiet, having to give birth, being quiet, and just the amount of facial expressions and body language and sign language that she had to communicate with, I thought really thrust her into a really good performance. And I, I thought she was really good. It was such a different role to watch of her because she was so vulnerable, so limited, but yet still kind of found a way to, to, to portray everything that she needed to do. So it was, it was a fun watch. Good enough to keep her around for the second one. Amen. But not Johnny. All right, so kind of round out her career. Last couple of years here, Sherlock Gnomes in 2018. So again, that Sherlock Holmes thing over and over again. She played Mary Poppins in Mary Poppins Returns in 2018, a role that got her Golden Globe and SAG noms for Best Actress. Surprisingly, maybe to some, not no Oscar this is like the most Oscar Beatty role you would think she might have gotten nominated that year for, but didn't. And I know James has a lot of hard opinions on this. This movie, it's aimed at very young children and people who feel nostalgic for since they loved the first one. And the problem is that like I don't fall into either of those categories because the generation that feels nostalgic about this movie is probably elder baby boomers and their parents. Like the first Mary Poppins came out a long time ago. 
And this movie's a direct sequel to that. So it's not like an original take. It's like if the story continued. So I don't know what my expectation was going into this movie, but I didn't like the first one and I didn't like this one. Uh, so I don't know why I expected myself to feel different. That being said, Emily Blunt is far and away the best part of this movie. She does such a good job as Mary Poppins that it doesn't come across like she's doing a Julie Andrews impression. It comes across like Mary Poppins was like a real person and both actresses were doing their own interpretation of it. If Emily Blunt didn't nail this role, this movie would have been a bomberuski, as we've called. Yeah. But she nails it. She's like quirky, cute, mysterious, but a little authoritative. It's the only thing that makes the movie watchable, in my opinion. The music's good, but seems unnecessary. <laughs> the story's kind of cookie cutter, but also surreal to the point where it doesn't make sense. It's long and unnecessarily so. And for a, a plot that isn't that in-depth, like, it's too long. Like, it, there's a bad guy, they're going to lose the house, they need to find some money to not lose the house. That takes two hours to explain. She is the only reason this movie works. And if you don't nail a role like this, like, it could really set your career back. She was nervous about it. Very nervous about it. Because if you fuck it up, people are going to be like, like, uh, the dude from that uh, first Superman movie, not, not Henry Cavill, but the one prior, I haven't heard of him since. He was like, no, nah, dude, the movie sucked. Brand- Brandon Ralph. Brandon yeah, Ralph. you're gone forever. Like, if he you was in up- uh, Zach, Zach and Mary make a porno. That was the last thing I saw him in. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. Oh, great movie. Yes, he was. Very, very good in that. Great movie. That could have been Emily Blunt if she didn't nail this. But she, I mean, she nailed it. She was absolutely fantastic. But the rest of the movie was just like, it was a chore to get through. It was, Like, I, I checked the watch many times. Like, oh my God, there's another hour on this? Like, she could do magic. She could just fix this problem for them. What is happening? Her voice is incredible. The songs are terrible. The opening song by Lin-Manuel Miranda, terrible. He Hamiltonized the movie where it's fast lyrics, and that's not something you can sing along to. You're like, wait, what is he? What's, what's everyone saying? They're like, wait, hold on. What was that word? Right, <laughs> right. I love the original Mary Poppins. Like, I, I think it's awesome, and I'm absolutely adore julie andrews in that role i I do agree with you though she does an incredible job of portraying the role of mary poppins and my viewpoint of that is based off of julie andrews portrayal of it i think you're right it's just a updated version she is she's nurturing but she's you know in my opinion she may take the snarkiness just a little too far in this one compared to Julie Andrews, mm-hmm. who was a little bit softer and, you know, a warmer character. The gist I got from you guys, because I saw this a couple years ago, too, is she's pretty excellent. Movies underwhelming. Yeah, she's great. And I couldn't I almost couldn't finish the movie. All right. To kind of round it out, uh, she had a couple years off. So between 2018, 2020, really didn't do much after Mary Poppins. Probably like, holy hell, that Mary Poppins stuff took a lot out of me. I probably just wanted to, like, do adult parenting things. With two young ones around the house, two young daughters. And then here in most recently, 2021, she was in Mount, Wild Mountain Time. She played Lily, a movie with Jamie Dornan where they both have Irish accents. I was doing some research on it. I did watch it. It's, it's not a great movie. And the local Irish press just destroyed this movie for how terrible the Irish accents are. So if you like terrible Irish accents, scope it out. I think it's on Hulu. It's just weird, though, because in like all her other movies, she... 
destroys accents. Picks and chooses when have accents. Like she's got a, 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 a British accent when she does Devil Wears Prada. She's got a British accent in the five year engagement. Mm-hmm. But then you go to Looper and she is like rural girl, rural juror. <laughs> and uh sicario too she does a really good yeah she does a really good job of picking and choosing which one she's going to do it in yeah in her interviews she gets asked to do accents all the time and she covers a wide range her her boston accent making fun of krasinski is hilarious it's almost very it's met very matt damon-ish in her uh her accent so she can she can do pretty good job with the accents but i think the overall movie itself not great with the irish side and as an irish person slightly offensive um so not my highest recommendation dude what are you polish or irish make a choice (laughs) you can't you can't be both i've got two parents warren come on and a michigander no you can't be all three all right i'm irish british irish i'll just we'll live there but most recently quiet place part two and I saw it in theaters as Case did. I will tell you, I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, because it's still circulating. But a couple of things that it does that I enjoy is it gives you, it starts with backstory and what the hell actually happened. And you don't get that in the first movie, and you get that immediately in the second one, which is refreshing. Because you get to get that context that people are like scouring photos on a wall for in the first movie. So that's cool. And uh, you see the kid. You see the kids take a, a an expanded role in this one too, which I think is fun. This one might actually be more well written. It might be better than the first one. Yeah. Oh damn, that's high praises. Yeah, I don't know if I actually like the movie more, but but the the way like Kyle's talking about, they tied everything in and really mm. gave the story a lot more depth. I, I thought it was pretty skilled. The kids take more of a forefront in this one versus Emily Blunt. That's the important thing. It's also got fellow Munson. Jimon Hansen. He is in it for a very brief time. A good part, though. Not in it much. He is. He is in it for a good part. Cillian Murphy is in it, and he's awesome. Great. He's fantastic in it. The only reason I want to watch it is to know how to keep a baby quiet. That's that's what I want to know. (laughs) Just have a better child, Warren, like Jesus. No, I'm sorry. We're not. We're not ready for baby jokes yet. Warren, oh, put her, put him in a box with an oxygen <laughs> yeah. tank. And I don't know, James. I don't. I don't know if we're ready for baby jokes. Yeah, it sounds like we're not ready for that. Understand? No, that's no, too real. Rigby hit us with some top performances. Yeah, so I was able to get a list from February 2021 from Variety. So one of our better known sources. Ooh. They call it Emily Blunt's ten best performances. So this was, I think. Maybe when A Quiet Place was like the second one was delayed for like the last time, I think they came out with the list of her top 10 films. So start us off, someone. Quiet Place 1 and Sicario. Yeah, those have to be on that list. Yep. Quiet Place is number four. And whoa, Sicario is number six, actually. Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada, number two, Warren. Ooh. Three for three. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow is numero uno. Okay. Nice. Looper. Looper is five. Young Victoria? Yep, seven. Girl on the Train. Uh, that's not on here. My Summer of Love. No, it's not. I wish it was, ah, but it's not. Boo. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins is number three. Sunshine Cleaning. Yeah, number eight. Five-yard engagement? Uh, nope. Huh. We just need nine and ten. Santa Fishing in Yemen? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, give me End of the Woods for the last one. Nope. Culliver's Travels. Just kidding. <laughs> it's an indie film. That's my hint. Oh. Your sister's sister. Your sister's sister. Yep. 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 Dude, I got to nice. see that movie. Everyone says it's awesome. For a 20-year acting career, that's a really good top 10 list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. It's really good. 
All right, let's get into the Munson meter. The way this works, every one of us ranks the actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, if they have any other talents, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that really matters to the Munsons. So with that said, we'll start this time with James. So she is super talented, acting, singing, and apparently even playing the cello. And she turned down a record contract at a young age. That's how good she is. Uh, Her range in acting, though, is what I find most impressive. She could do it all, and she's kind of comfortable in all styles. Uh, She's one of those actors that even crushes her role in bad movies, like I mentioned in Mary Poppins. If she doesn't perform as well as she did in that role, I truly believe it would have set her career back because people were ready to pounce on her if she didn't live up to Julie Andrews. But I think she exceeded everyone's expectations, even though the movie was just meh. Case mentioned it. Box office uh, success is one of the best we've covered. And I feel like her name recognition is above average when compared to other people we've covered, but not great yet. Mm -hmm. I think it's better than most, but I think... That has more to do with her not having a huge filmography yet. And the one factor that I actually count negatively against her score, which is a complete lack of award wins and recognition. I think if she's won more awards, I would have her substantially higher. And I think she'd even be more of a household name. When it comes to the Jussie Smollett slash Johnny Depp scale, I think she ranks really high. Uh, I haven't found a single person who's said anything negative about her and... I, in fact, have actually found so many celebrities that use the word love and best friend when describing her that I was actually skeptical of how nice people talked about her. Because once you read, like, three people call you their best friend, I was like, oh, that's a little odd. But no one's ever said anything negative about her. I think once she starts getting more awards, uh, she's going to skyrocket up my rankings. But until then, I give her a 79. All right. On my end, I mean... Uh, James said a lot of things I was going to, so I'll hit just a couple main notes. I think her range is impressive. The way she goes from a helpless, broken character to the badass hero is a sign of who she is as an actress and how seamless she is from role to role. So pretty impressive from there, especially we're talking 20 years, not even 45 credits, really 40 credits, because that 43 includes what's coming. When she gets up to 80 to 120 years from now, I mean... There might not be a better body of work if you compare other folks we've done 40 years of a career. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she clearly gets called to do whatever roles that they think she's going to be good at. And she pretty much knocks everyone out of the park. Like I couldn't, I was thinking about it. I can't find a single role of anything I've seen from her where I thought she was bad. She's in some bad movies and made some rougher choices in terms of projects, but the one she has picked for the most part, other than the little spell between like 09 and 2011, knocking it out of the park. So, and I'm also a big fan of the fact that she just avoids social media and just kind of stays off the radar, mm-hmm. does her own thing, and has a seemingly wonderful relationship where they pick on each other publicly all the time. And I'm a I'm a big fan of that in the Hollywood space. So, with that, I'm I'm going consistent, uh, James. I also gave her 79. Great score. Great score, Kyle. Right on the nod, baby. Rigby, consistent? Maybe. We'll find out. You guys hit all the important parts. Her range, she can do big action, blockbusters. She can do indie films. I think that says a lot. She hasn't made, I mean, even though some of her 
low critic scores were probably pretty bad movies. They did well at the box office, so she hasn't really done made any bomberoos that I can think of. She seems like a really nice, cool person, uh, very charming, very elegant. Goes to what Kyle said with not having social media. I love that, especially because so many celebrities, I feel like, use social media incorrectly these days. It's nice to know that someone had, doesn't have to rely on that to still have a career. So the only thing... I didn't know that about the Black Widow thing, even though I'm not a Marvel fan. The fact that she passed that up is like really heartbreaking because her cultural impact would probably be so much more if she was in those movies. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't been nominated for an Oscar yet, which is not exactly her fault, but I feel like her time is coming. I was very, very surprised to learn that she was only 38 years old, which is yeah. which means she still has... She's in a prime. Right. Not even half of her acting career is is probably over. She's... Her, she's her best is probably yet to come. So all that being said, I'm going to give her an 81. Yerky, our guest Munson, what do you got? Agreeing with everything that's been said so far, just tossed in a couple things. I, I really love, again, her involvement from her personal story of uh, you know struggling with a stutter growing up and the way that she continues to give back. To folks who also are going through those experiences, that's a major plus in my book. Um, and the other one is, again, the way that she, I think, stands out with veterans in in film regardless of the roles that she plays with i that definitely uh like you all said i think i i don't think that she's peaked yet i think we're going to continue to see emily blunt dominate uh as her career progresses but i'm going to give her an 81 because i think that she's just knocking it out of the park and again just takes it up that extra level with the way that she gives back and stands out some real greats love it warren a lot of the same stuff you know the age thing like rigby said 38 that's huge a big shock i mean it's 38 as of like three months ago so freshly 38 she's been in movies for 20 years so going on since she was you know 17 18 as soon as she was able to get into it and from what everybody said about it it's been you know her she's been on point for each of them. I can't speak for My Little Pony, but <laughs> you know, I can't tell if she really does with voice work. And as far as I can tell, that maybe that is her only weak spot. You know, somebody who conveys a lot of emotion, who has the ability to convey a lot of emotion and stuff with uh, you know, her face and you know, her her physicality, she, you know, maybe maybe that is one area that she struggles with, but I don't think there's a, an actor that we've covered that has been as well-rounded across every, you know, she's been in the huge blockbusters with, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, big blockbuster. She's been horror. She's been in comedy. She's been in drama. She's been in suspense. She's been in, like, she's done all of them, and she's done really well in them. She's done the physical, she's done physical action She's done more, you know, like with Looper, that was less of her action, but carrying on, you know, in a, in a huge pivotal role in, a, in an action sci-fi thriller, you know, it's just, she brings it every single time. And mm-hmm. I am glad she didn't take, you know, Natasha Romanoff as Black Widow, mainly because at this point, I can't see anybody other than Scarlet in that role. Yeah. And, you know, it would honestly you know, seem as a disservice to the character just based on what she's done with it, because I think she's really good at it. She, could she be good in uh, Sue Storm? Yeah, I'm sure she could. Do I not want her in it? Yeah, I don't want her in it. But I think that they, you know, like like uh, Yerky said, she thing, it's a, it'd be a good role for her. All, the, all that said, you know, she's got a lot of awesome potential 
and you know the next whatever she ends up doing she's going to do on her own time she does it because she loves it she doesn't have to and you know looking we'll get into things that she has coming up there's really nothing big on the books so maybe that is the marvel maybe you know all that time is already kind of blocked off so time will tell and i'm i'm excited and you know she's got a lot of stuff coming so I'm actually going to go with an 81 as well. Ooh. Everything she makes, uh, I'm going to watch. And it's it's been enough. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of compare a little bit. I know that I always do the comparison. Like, a similar mm-hmm. score would be Mahershala. Mm-hmm. And while he's got, he's got the awards, she's just got so much more really, like, consistently good stuff. He's good in, uh, like, 10 roles that he's done because he's only done, like, 13 like big roles and she's done three times as many and has done great in a lot of them yeah remarkably consistent yeah case round us out well everything i had on my list you guys nailed so i'm gonna give her a 78 we've peppered that strike zone yeah dude another week in a row warren what do we yeah, got dude it's like it's like we're pitching with spider tech here <laughs> <laughs> we just really get we garrett cold that munson meter right there just absolutely destroyed it i don't get it that gives Emily Blunt a 79.83, which is good enough for eighth, which has her in between John Lithgow and Jessica Chastain. Oh, that's great. I feel like Chastain and her are very similar in their skills and, and just their career arcs so yeah, far. They're, they're both young studs that are like one award away from being like in the upper echelon of actresses. Mm-hmm. Rigby, it's funny you say that. That's what I gave Chastain. I gave her 78. So I gave the two of them the same score. I didn't even realize it. Comparable. There we go. Look at that. What has she got coming, Warren? Jungle Cruise, uh, if that ever finally mm-hmm. comes out. I'm sure that's going to be an absolute blast. I, anything The Rock's in, I'm, I'm in for. Yeah. She's got a TV series called The English. Uh, follows a woman as she seeks revenge on the man she sees as responsible for the death of her son. Sounds like that Brian Cranston show that's out right now. Oh, okay. Your Honor. Not Fade Away. Uh, Another uh, live, die, repeat, and repeat. She is rumored to reprise her role as Rita in a movie. Nice. Uh, I don't know if it's a sequel or technically a prequel for Edge of Tomorrow. Regardless, we'll take it. And these will all be available on browsers. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. ed, that's edging, edging tomorrow. Edging yeah. of tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Still. Fucking firing in all cylinders. I'm proud of you guys. I don't know how you can do a follow up to Edge of Tomorrow if you apparently killed them all. So yeah, I mean it's a prequel. Explore the universe. You would think there's got to be good money in that if you can tell a good story. One hundred percent. Because with a with a kind of like plot mm-hmm. device like that, people are ready to shit on it because people have tried to do it before and they always dunk on it when it's not good. But if you nail it, mm-hmm. it's going to be so entertaining. Uh, five actors were thrown onto the wheel for the next episode, which will be episode 39. And those five are Willem Dafoe, Winona Ryder, Bill Nye, the off-mentioned Bill Nye today because she worked with Bill several times. Not the science guy. Not the science guy. We established it's a different yep, guy. Very different. Very British. <laughs> Another chance to see Wild Target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank so, God. Elijah Wood and Barry Shabaka Henley. What do we like? What do we hate? Defoe and Wood. You hate those or you want to do those? I want to do those. Me too. Defoe, obviously. I'm cool with all those except for Barry. I had to Google who he was just now. and yeah. I was like, oh, the dude from Collateral. But 
that's all I know him from. Supporting actor type. Yeah. Can you all make a suicide pact to make sure to watch uh, Antichrist if it's default? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. I need to, though. Everyone has to watch Sam yeah. talked about it uh, when he was on for, uh, for Dakota. He was talking about Antichrist and how good it is. Well, how unique it is, I think, is more of the approach he was taking. I like Willem Dafoe. He's a, you could tell he's a little nuts, and I dig that about him. He leans into it. Mm-hmm. Definitely got some art house stuff in there. Yep. Alongside the the blockbuster Boondock Saints type. I want to talk about Elijah Wood just so we can finally talk about Wilford a little bit. Oh, throwback. Yeah, that would be a blast. <laughs> oh, a in, in Flipper, baby. You can get a little Sin City action in there, too. It's there like OG comic book movies. Yeah, Elijah's the man. The faculty. Get back into that and deep impact. Uh, that, that movie rocks. Oh, yeah. Winona's got some cool shit. She's got an interesting career. She yeah. kind of went away for a long time and then came back. She was great in the beginning and then mm. kind of just fell off. Yeah. So some of the off off the screen stuff with her would be fun. We would get to talk about little women again. <laughs> That's true. And how <laughs> for the gay birds. Oh, I don't understand <laughs> the hate you guys. Just watch the movie. It's good. Dude, which one? Either, either. They're both good. Both, both what? There's the 38 of them. <laughs> well, I don't acknowledge movies that came out that weren't in color. The LWCU is a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> the Gabe Byrne and Timothy Chalamet versions. Those are the two you need to watch. Got it. We don't decide. Our guests don't decide. The uh, wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. I'm calling bullshit. The guest decides. <laughs> <laughs> Yerky, you're great, man. We appreciate you being here. Any plugs, any wise words for our audience? This is your time to shine. Hey, I mean, thanks for having me again. Yeah, I've been really into being vaccinated lately. So, like... Go do that. Fucking do it. Yeah, like, do it. It's not that tough not to, you know, get too polarizing, but uh, it's pretty neat. So get out there and make it happen. It's a great excuse to feel like shit for two days and watch a lot of movies, too. Yeah. And like these days, it's like, you know, you get free beer for it. You get all, I thought Washington was giving out joints for it. So, like, get out there, you know, get a donut, whatever. But want to get high? Get vaccinated. (laughs) I felt like shit for 33 years. What's another two days, you know? (laughs) I think Rod Maker had the same plug. Like, go get vaccinated, please. Yeah. Just get out there. Well, we appreciate you, man. You're a lot of fun. All right. Well, our next episode is going to land on July 1st. Our featured guest, backed out because of time commitments and i always appreciate a good like hey my life is busy so dan craig is gonna tap in and uh, drop in for our episode uh he's working at a summer camp that may or may not have great reception so we're not going to guarantee that dan craig will be here we're going to do our best is it camp firewood (laughs) it's camp nowhere it's camp crystal lake (laughs) yeah exactly now we'll get dan craig on it'll be a good time but if you're listening and you're like, hey, we like Munson's content, you can find us on Twitter. We're on Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts? Listen up, fucker! I have shot and buried three vagrants in the past year. But if you show your face here again, I will cut you the fucking half. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?